everyone. Welcome to the Worship Artistry Podcast. My name is Jason Houtsma, and with me, as always, Mr. Daniel Ornelas. What is up, Daniel? Hey, Jason. What's happening, man? Oh, it's bright and early, my friend. It's bright and early <laughs> on a Halloween morning. Did your family ever celebrate Halloween? Oh, yeah. We've become part of the crew. I used to think it was uh, like demonic and evil when I first moved here, but now I've just succumbed to the vibe. <laughs> do, do, they, do they have Halloween in South Africa? No, we just look at... Look, I mean, they're starting to do it now, I guess, but when we when I left South Africa, no one used to celebrate Halloween back those days. That's like 16 years ago. But I guess people are catching up with all the Facebook and this... You know, when you get into this world of um, uh, all the social media stuff, then it kind of travels... All the kind of trends travel around the world much more now than they used to back in the day. Okay, interesting. Yeah, we were always the... I was never allowed to, like, celebrate anything about it. My parents were like, it's of the devil. And like oh, we, were, wow. we were the bad house that when people came, like we'd give them, we wouldn't give them candy. He was like, here's popcorn and a tract. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> like, which oh I'm, my God. Which I'm expecting. Like I, I'm, I'm sure that when I go to heaven, there's going to be a line of people that are like, thank you for giving me that track. Like that changed my <laughs> life. I'm only here because of that track that you gave. At first I hated you because I just wanted candy, but thanks for the track. I, you got more chance of someone coming to you in heaven and going, thanks for the popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. But uh, but yeah, I know we're kind of the same way. But it's funny. My kids my kids don't like candy. So they don't want to do a bunch of like, they consider trick-or-treating kind of like work. So they dress up for school. And then there, our neighbor across the street, we live on Elm Street. So our neighbor across okay. the street does a full-on like Nightmare on Elm Street vibe. He dresses Perfect. like Freddy Krueger, and they have like create like a haunted house in their driveway. There's it's it's crazy. It's so and it's so fun. So we go over there, and we do that. But the rest of the time, my kids just kind of want to watch a movie and hand out candy because they're like, I don't like candy. I don't want to go kn- knocking on people's doors in the dark. <laughs> yeah, then the Franklin where we live, there's like these neighborhoods which are perfect for it because the houses are close together and they're all rich. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up you end up with like big like. Um, chocolate bars and all sorts of stuff that's not tech you know it's not like a piece of candy you get like big chocolate bars like Mars bars I don't know what you call them here I don't know what they are I still don't know what American candy is uh, let's say uh, I don't know give me one uh, <laughs> Snickers cases. Snickers yeah Snickers that's it yeah I know we, we, there's a there's one neighborhood a, guy, a kid was telling me yesterday when one of my students was telling me that they hand out uh like they hand out candy to the kids and there's a guy with like a big barbecue pit in his front yard and he's just handing out plates of ribs. That's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> but then like, you know, like there's this other neighborhood. It's the same thing, kind of the same thing, all these big houses. And, but it's funny cause like there's, there's people just sitting out their driveway and they're handing out like drinks, like apple hot cider or whatever. Right. And, oh, yeah. and it's funny cause like when I, the other thing that I remember as a kid was, it was like, watch out. There's probably razor blades in the candy. Like don't ever take anything from strangers. And then we're walking around just like meeting strangers, just like they're giving you something to drink, which would be totally easy to mess with. And, oh, yeah. and you're just like, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Have a lug, good night. Lug, lug. Yeah. <laughs> setting, a, setting a wonderful example for the kids. Well, speaking of setting a wonderful example for the kids, Daniel, uh, we have Shelby Rollins today. Our vocal instructor. Oh, awesome. Who has. She's awesome. Yeah. And you might not realize that she's our vocal instructor because we haven't released the vocal lessons yet. Um, but she is. She's been putting together a decent library full of songs. And they sound amazing. I can't get over the work that she's doing. I can't wait to release uh, the vocal lessons. Um, but we want to make sure that we have something, you know, a reasonable size library. So she's actually going to talk with us today about a number of things, but mainly kind of approaching. Uh, how to lead congregational worship. She really kind of talks about um, uh, 
like like singing to lead your congregation versus you know singing to sing a song or the performance yeah exactly exactly so anyway uh without further ado shelby rollins Shelby, 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 welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, well, you, you're you're around now. It's, you're not just right? like a distant guest. You're a you're just a part of the crew now. It's fun. See behind the curtain now. <laughs> you're like, this is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> what did I get myself into? Cool. Well, uh, so so real quick, um, I, I just wanted to kind of going to lay out a little bit of your life over the past month. It's been, it's been crazy. You know, we had initially, yes. you know, we'd been talking about um, doing vocal lessons. You've been working on those. I think you've got about like 20 in the can right now. Um, mm-hmm. You've had a lot more planned, but you've been, you, you were just down in Panama city with your folks. Who's like, yeah, house got leveled. You've been, you've been not, you've been just, there's been a lot of stuff, a lot of struggle with the process a little bit, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Few obstacles, things getting in my way. You know, it's it's funny how when you uh, when you step out to do something awesome, obstacles have a tendency to to just all of a sudden pop up. Yes, they do. But there's been a lot of good in the process too. So uh, one thing that's good, I'll just tell you, tell everyone, like the lessons are great. Like the lessons that you are creating are they they are going beyond my wildest dreams. I'm like so happy with how they've come out. Um, it's. It is amazing to have a true vocal coach teaching vocals. It's just a, it's beautiful. Um, so I wanted to kind of start with you on that a little bit. You know, uh, I was just talking with Josh last week on the podcast and about how teaching is kind of a teacher. Like you just kind of pick up on different things when you're spending time teaching. Mm-hmm. And you've been going through these songs. You're you're both you know kind of learning the harmonies, teaching those as well as kind of sometimes creating harmonies if there is no harmony that sort of thing. Um, yeah. How's, how's it been for you? What's, what's the, the experience of teaching these songs been like for you? Well, it's been an interesting combination of familiar and unfamiliar because I, years and years ago, starting in college, which was a long time ago, um, I was teaching parts to our worship team. We had like a gospel choir style setup, And so there were a lot of vocalists to teach parts to. So at our weekly rehearsals, I was in charge of learning all the new songs, running the vocal rehearsals, teaching all the parts to everybody. So I, um, and I just did it because I grew up in choir and I loved harmonies and I just always heard them. So I, it was a natural role to step into. And so I did it for years, um, all the way through college. And then when I moved to New York, I did it all in New York at our church up there. And, um, then I stopped doing it for quite a long time after my husband and I moved uh, to Nashville. And I had not really been in a church environment that kind of required that. Um, I sort of moved away from a more of a like gang vocal style to more like a single leader kind of thing. And it just was less parts driven. So I wasn't doing it. Plus, I was so much more focused on teaching um, vocal lessons one on one that was mostly technique and um song coaching style stuff. So it was uh, lesson worship. So even in that job though, I was doing a ton of video work. I was doing a lot of shoots for, uh, the singing success, um, you know, vocal videos, the stuff that we put online and all of that content. So I'd, I'd gotten used to filming, um, and talking to no one essentially, but the camera and then coming 
to join with you guys, it was interesting because it was kind of a combination of coming back to vocal arranging and learning parts. Uh, and then, but, but the, in that context, I used to be just teaching actual, you know, people in front of me and listening to them live, sing back the parts that I was teaching. So it was a combination of like the video teaching world that I had been doing, um, it singing success. And then my old past of teaching parts in churches and kind of combining those two things together. So it's, um, it's been a, it's been fun to kind of come back to that. I, I love harmonies and learning them and teaching them. So yeah, it's, it's been a bit, bit of both. Did I answer the question? Sure. Sure. We'll, we'll just keep going. So, so, <laughs> so I, I love that. It's almost like, it's almost like you've been prepared for this job for quite some time now. Yeah. It's almost like everything led to this. It's funny how it works that way. That was my own experience as well. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little, okay, I'd like to dig into that a little bit. You know, you going from more of a, like you said, gang vocals, choir kind of a thing, and then switching over to more uh, a single <laughs> kind of lead singer, you know, yeah. single harmony, that sort of a thing. Um, what, what, do you, what do you miss about the large group? I think I miss the fullness, um, both in the sound and in the team dynamic. I, I love being with a group of people worshiping. Um, and it was, it, there's a kind of a sometimes more intimate quality about a really smaller group. But, um, I also love it when there there's more people because you know, you're making room for more people to be a part of the expression and use their giftings and stuff like that. And I've actually just started getting involved in my own church here, um, with that. And there, it's a little bit more of a smaller, vocal setup, but, um, just even the simplicity of bringing in a BGV and like adding a harmony was really encouraging to them. Cause they were like, Oh my gosh, we've been wanting this for so long. So it's, it's funny how even the smaller groups are usually really wanting a little bit more fullness in, in vo vocals. And I think most worship leaders do as well. Cause then they don't have to carry the load entirely on themselves. And so, yeah, I just miss, the, the big family kind of quality, you know, you get to know more people and just build a team. I love team building. So, so that's something you, that's about it. So how do you, so, and essentially when you're kind of, I mean, the idea is that when you are in a more of a, a lead singer role, you're essentially trying to turn the whole congregation into a choir, right? Essentially like the congregation is becoming your choir, that's yeah. where you're getting the group experience, right? You don't necessarily have it on stage, but you have it with everyone right in front of you. Um, mm -hmm. Are there some, I mean, there are obviously some challenges to that. Do you have any ways that you've seen that, man, like this really engages the congregation in this way um, mm -hmm. and, and kind yeah. of makes that part of the process? Yeah, I actually think that there's such a, a need for strategy in that because when, it, especially when it comes to like vocal arranging, um, whether you've got one person up there singing with you or you've got, you know, 15 or 20 in a choir, um, the, so many songs that have been really popular in the last five to 10 years in modern church worship expressions have, are, have become very hard to sing for most people, most, you know, lay people or whatever you call them, uh, in the not congregation, pro not professional singers 
professional singers. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, think about it. If it's hard for the worship leader to sing, it's going to be nearly impossible for the non-singer out there in the congregation to sing. And there's so many octave jumps and rangy things that can be really powerful when you listen to it. But a lot of times I've found that you stare at the congregation in those moments that you're like, this is it. This is that awesome moment. It's going to be so great. And then you see them and they're all kind of staring at you like wide eyed, like, I can't do that. I'm not going <laughs> to you know? And so they, it doesn't necessarily have that big lift that you might've seen in your head and imagined. So I think there's a challenge in and also a need to write songs for your congregation instead of maybe just only pulling songs that are out there for, that are really well suited for a mega church. Um, but you know, a need to arrange things in such a way that it helps the congregation join in and be a part. It's not overcomplicated. That doesn't mean it's boring. It just means that it's set in a normal key. It's not, um, epically high and everybody's going to just sort of stick their hands in their pockets and stare at you in silence. But, you know, even the parts are not all over the place and too busy that it's distracting, but they're just a really nice addition or lift, um, kind of add something to it. I think it can be easy to overcomplicate the music to the point of, it might be really interesting musically, but you've lost the people and then you've kind of missed the point entirely. So well, I, I think find, that there's be the challenge in it. Yeah. Well, I, f I find that, um, even just visualizing my congregation singing every song that I either write for them or I pull from, you know, it's like a lot of times I think, you know, especially when you're listening to like the way we get worship music now, as we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the way we get it now is like, we hear it on the radio or it's pushed out yeah. to us through this service or whatever. Like you, you, um, you know, and, and it's trying to grab your ear and be something that is really great to listen to, like you said. Right. Um, yeah. but, and a lot of times when we're preparing or we're, we're practicing or we're prepping, like, you know, even when we're doing the lessons on worship artistry, you know, we're thinking about, okay, how do I recreate this? But I'm trying to think about how do I recreate this with the guy that is like the weekend warrior? Like, how do I make this something that he can play, you know, or yeah. we're thinking about our congregation. How do we do something that they can sing? A lot of times we're looking at, um, we're like imagining that recording in our head, right? Yeah. Rather than imagining what does this actually look like on a Sunday morning? I mean, yeah. you can, I think totally. we all have like those visuals. Ben, Benji Coward just talked before about how, how it's like, yeah, a lot of times in your head, you see this video that Hillsong came out with or Elevation, right? They're in this huge theater and like there's lights and everyone's just like, yeah, and everyone's like super good looking and dressed all hipstery and like, <laughs> like I, I'm not good looking enough to go to this place. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's like, it's like, it creates this, this big experience and we have that in our brain and yeah. then we show up on Sunday and it doesn't look like that at all. You know, yeah. we're meeting in a meeting hall and like the, the, mm -hmm. you know, the band is, is kind of all over the place. They're all staring at sheet music, <laughs> you know, like it does, doesn't have that same experience, but I do find that when we prep and we actually think about that environment, about what that environment actually is and what we can do with that environment, it can actually it actually really helps in, in leading that environment. Yeah, that was not, I feel like everybody has had that experience who's led worship and follows like modern stuff that's out there and that charts really well, like Hillsong or Bethel or whatever, that they like have this amazing song. They're like, Oh my gosh, it's going to be so great when we do it at our church. Cause you had this powerful moment when you were just listening to the song. And so I feel like that's happened to everybody. And I don't think we really consciously realize that we're not considering everything that you just said of, our own church, our own, you know, context and, um, our grid and our congregation's grid is so different for 
processing new songs too, you know? Um, I think sometimes too, once we have decided that a song is sort of off the topic, but sometimes we hear a song, we've then listened to it like 20 times because we're so excited about it. And then we introduce it and forget that we are probably the only person who's listened to that and memorized it. It's brand new for everybody else. And that there's sort of that process of learning for a congregation that's slower than it is for a musician, but not even consciously recognizing that I think ends up making people frustrated, like worship leaders frustrated because they're it's like, Oh, why didn't that land? And it wasn't until I took some years really off from doing a lot of worship leading that I started to see that and that I started to see that I had done that for a long time and I had gotten frustrated by the same thing and didn't know it. And it was only because I was on the other side. I was on the congregation side for a long time, just sort of being like, it was like, you know, I'd had babies and life was just a whole lot busier than it had been before. So it was just a season of stepping back. And I would be in the congregation thinking, why in the world did they pick this song? (laughs) I'm looking around the room like, ain't nobody is into this, you know? And it it was more just because the song was probably not super congregational or it was really irrelevant to the congregation, but you could tell it was probably really relevant to the worship leader. And that's not to throw anybody under the bus or to knock anybody, but I think it can be just a really easy an unknown pitfall is to pick songs because you really like them versus picking songs because you know that that's like what your congregation is needing. That's the song of your congregation right now. You know what I mean? There's such a difference. Where have you seen that done well? I I guess I maybe to not name names, I visited a pretty big church in Nashville recently just because I have a bunch of friends there and um, decided to go visit there. And uh, it's, they are known for their worship music. They are known for, they've even started recording their worship music. And it was a very, it's a bunch of young people. It's a big church. It's a, it's much, very much so a high level production. Um, It was the best live sound at a church I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Um, Like so good. I was like, Oh my gosh, I can hear everything and nothing is too loud, but it's so loud. It was, it was awesome. Um, and I, I knew the mix engineer. I was like, he's, he's really, really good. But anyway, they, they did a great job engaging their congregation from the first note of the first song. I mean, it was like people were there and I think there's so many reasons you could attribute that to. I think the church itself fosters a culture of worship. Um, and I think that it, they attract people that are really excited about that type of music. And there's a bunch of young people, right? So that's another big thing, a big factor is a bunch of young people. And, but one of the other things is they do a lot of their own songs. So all of, they have a huge team and they're a bunch of the people on their team are published professional songwriters. <laughs> so it, that doesn't hurt when you're talking about writing music and writing great worship songs versus kind of like, eh, worship songs. <laughs> and they've got, they just have people there who know how to do it and do it really, really well. And they do a lot of their own stuff. They do some stuff from other churches, but they really write music for their church. And it just so happens that their stuff is pretty widely um, accepted, I guess. Like their stuff is a lot of people like their album that came out, you know? So I saw it, it's a, like I said, there's a lot of factors there and a lot of things are sort of like give them a little extra help, you know, but 
I think that they did a good job of writing stuff that their people were really excited about singing, you know? Well, let me let me kind of jump into that for a little bit because you also just returned from you can you can tell where your heart's at at the moment. The uh, <laughs> you just returned uh, from Kingdom Songs, which was uh, we had Michael Farron on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking yes. about Kingdom Songs, and you just actually returned from that three day writing retreat. Uh, yes. Why don't you Why don't you give me a little insight into how that was? It was great. Um, it was fun to get to know Michael a little bit better too, through doing that. And I figured I kind of figured out who he was through this podcast a, a while ago. And when he first was on talking about how his heart was for fostering a gift of writing in young writers who don't really know how to write well. And I was like, well, Hey, maybe that's me. I need to get to know this guy. So I just started. We should all think that all the time. <laughs> What'd you say? So we should all think that all the time. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's me. Um, So I just started since I where I shoot my tutorials for worship artistry is in the same building that he works out of. So I was around him quite a bit. And I was like, hey, hey, Michael, let me chat chat with you a little bit. So I started getting to know him a little bit and then found out about um, all of the stuff that he does with Kingdom Songs and applied. They they let me in. And so I came. It's nice because it was just basically down the road from me here. Uh, just down in Franklin. And uh, anyway, I, it was pretty intense. It was three days of three full days of writing. And there was, I think we had like a total of five writing sessions, six. I can't remember a a lot. There was a lot of them. (laughs) One of them, we had three in a day, which just is a little taxing. And that last one of the day was, we all just sort of stared at the room. It was like 8 PM and we're starting a writing session at 8 PM and we're all looking I have nothing left, but um, it was a great learning experience. They brought in a ton of really great, known, legit writers, and they're all in pub deals. They all write songs that you know. They're all, um, and they're all of them. Their hearts were to share and to help other people um, grow. There was definitely no like, oh, I can't give you the secrets because then I have, I might have less opportunity for me. It was very community oriented. And yeah, there, there was several, um, peer rights and then a couple pro rights. So the peer rights are where you write with each other, all the other attendees. And then the pro ones are when one or two of the attendees would be writing with one of their pro writers who is like published, has cuts on again, like songs that, you know, and probably do in your church. And, uh, those were really fun learning experiences because I, I've been writing songs since, college. So I was like 18, maybe so over 15 years, but I had, I hadn't, um, ever done it on a professional level. I pursued my professional career in a different element area of music. And so while I've always written, I would have never called myself like a songwriter, at least not by national standards, <laughs> which means basically if you're a songwriter, you need to be able to produce like a book of 3000, 300 songs that you've already completed, which I did not have. So anyway, it was really cool to get to sit down with professional writers in worship for the first time and, um, just really watch their process and learn. And, um, their, the whole theme of it was really writing songs for your church. And, not just defaulting to the next hit song that comes from like the main, the four four or five main players in that space that contribute most of the music to the church at large. And, um, yeah, it was fun. I, I, it was cool to walk away with a bunch of songs that I was really excited about, you know? 
maybe you could give me like one nugget of like, you know, you're working with uh, a pro songwriter. Was there anything that kind of surprised you about their process or, um, or you just kind of took away as a little nugget of goodness? Um, I learned, uh, uh, one of my pro writes was with, uh, a girl here named Ryan Shirley and she, um, she's a great melody person and lyricist. And she, she just can like put stuff together, like throw it out there. And her just sort of like bleh, rough draft is usually better than our best draft, <laughs> you know? And so she would just kind of spit out lyrics and, um, her, you know, when, when we would sort of share what about this or whatever, she had really good insight as to why or why not something may not be the best choice because of the theme going on or because of, um, making sure that you really stay true to the, the core hook of the song versus just, you know, throwing in grace face, (laughs) the grab bag lines, we call them the grab bag lines. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, just reach into here and pull this one out. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it was really easy sometimes to pull those out because they were like, oh, and then we could just say this and end the verse. And so really striving for something that was a better choice um, was cool. And then I had another pro write with Chris Clayton and he, uh, he and Michael Farron go to the same church and lead at the same church down there. And he was super cool. And he's also a producer. So being in a write with him was really fun because he just basically created a track while we wrote Mm -hmm. and with all of his like, you know, loops and stuff. And so we were kind of like, okay, what about this? And so one of the writers, one of the peers, the guys attending, he was like, I had this hook and I had one as well. And we actually put our hooks together and it became the verse in the course of the song. They really fit well together. And it was kind of something like, I've kind of had this, but I've never had anywhere to put it. So, and then Chris was like, Oh, okay, cool. And he turns around and he starts like tinkering on his computer. And all of a sudden he creates this amazing track and we're like, what? I was like, how do I do that at home? When I write at home, it's not nearly as cool sounding. So it was fun to see how even just creating a track enhanced the creativity and gave us a totally new creative direction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it really pulled more out of us because we could feel the overall finished product before it was finished. Okay. Well, and that, kind of, yeah. and that team approach to writing is, you know, it's even when it just, you know, we did, we did that songwriting workshop and we were down there and, uh, or when I was just down there and I was with my buddy Ron and then we started like, we should get together and write. And we were pounding out stuff that, you know, half of it's good, half of it's not, or whatever, but you're just, when you're working at it, when you're actually just willing to just go for it. And then it's amazing how much faster it moves when you just have somebody else there to prod and kind of, they go, their brain just goes in a different direction. Cause you have a tendency to like, like when I write, I have a place that I naturally go and I always have to pull myself out of that place to try and come up with something different. You know, like I'll write something, I'll be like, wait a minute. I think I've written that verse before, <laughs> you know, like, that's Oh, wait like a minute. A, that's this like, song. Yeah. <laughs> wait a Again? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just like pulling that, you know, that idea, like I'm a true collaboration of going like, okay, well yeah. I've got the verse melody. I've got the chorus melody and put that together and have it work. It's, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then how did that, um, how, how's that experience then work for you in terms of when you're writing for your church, you know, kind of getting back to the whole idea of leading for your congregation, um, mm-hmm. you know, how does that then contribute to your heart for your congregation? 
Well, I think it, it widens my, what is the word I'm looking for? It widens my worldview or the lens that I'm thinking in terms of creatively, because as so I used to, when I first started writing, I was writing like pop singer songwriter. I was going after the artist career trajectory. And so when I lived in New York, I was writing pop songs that were about my life. You know what I mean? And my experiences and love and blah, blah, blah. And so starting to write more worship, it really began by in the same vein of it was writing about my life. And so, so much of my writing came from my own life experiences and it still does, but this really kind of gave me a bigger picture of like, okay, that's super applicable for me, my own worship. And I could record that and I could make an album out of it, but that is not necessarily songs that the church is going to need, want to do or could do. They're not super congregational maybe. And it really, as I started to recognize that I, started to want to write things that were more congregational and learn about congregational worship writing and things like that. And especially doing, um, kingdom songs, I was really even more so focused on less about me and what was all of my internal world and more about, um, having a heart for your people. It was really a pastoring kind of a boot camp conference or whatever as well, because you really need to be able to pastor your people if you want to lead them well, um, as a worship leader. And it's not just your senior pastor's job to do that. And yeah, it just sort of gave me a, a, a wider expanse to process, even if it is processing my own internal stuff, like thinking in terms of this, this might've happened to me, but it probably also happened to a lot of people out there. What is, what is the way that this can be voiced to help give them words to sing in their dark moments in their, you know, struggles. And, um, so that was it. I think, did I answer the question again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're great. Yes. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I think that's awesome, man. I, I think more and more my heart as a, you know, as we, as we do worship artistry and as being a worship pastor in my own church, you know, it's like the message that I just want to keep getting across is like, we are pastors, we are yeah. pastors, you know, and we're like musicianship is important, but it's almost, I would know, I would just say it is secondary to that heart, you know, yeah. it's secondary to like, how, do, if I have a heart for my people, I'm going to run, want to write songs for them. And I'm going to yep. find out that there's not songs out there that need to say exactly what this person needs to say right now. You know, it's like I have specific yeah. songs that are, that have names attached to them, you know, and it's, yep. and they may not, and they might never be that song that becomes that, that big hit song. Like you were, you know, like you were saying, I mean, I, when you go to Nashville, one thing I noticed about going out there is it's like, man, a, this world is huge. And B, like everything, there's kind of like a magnetic pull to that, like that hit yeah. song. It's this kind of song. Like the song needs yeah. to be this. And you, and we need those songs. Like those songs are important. I need to do better at writing those songs that get people to want to just like pump their hands in the air and just be like, this sings my heart, you know? Um, but there's a lot of place for contemplation. There's a lot of places for prayer. There's a lot of places for um that maybe don't necessarily fit in that song. And so being able to learn to write those and know what your congregation needs is just yeah. incredibly important. So it's awesome to hear, hear that, that writing piece, like pulling your heart towards that. And mm -hmm. it'll also give you a heart for the people that you're teaching to sing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, 
so I know I know you need to run here, so we have to kind of squeeze this one in. But Shelby, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to release your vocal lessons. We're we're close. Good. We're close. Everyone's kind of knocking down the door, going, "When when does it start? When does it start?" It's like, "Hey, I've got a couple more coming tomorrow." Yeah, you you can crank them out so much faster than I can. That's for sure. The amount that you. Uh, <laughs> You could ask Ryan for his confirmation on that. And he knows how many SOS calls I give him when I get in this. Well, sorry, that was my dog barking. You heard that. That's right. We get the, we get the cat, we get my cat meowing every once in a while in the background. So it just makes it more real, right? right. That's, the, that's real life. Well, I will, I will let you go. I will let you go care for your dog. Can't wait to hear the new songs you've got cranked out. And uh, I can't wait to hear the songs you're writing. How do I get to hear those? Yes. Well, I want to hear them too. I need to record them. Oh, that, that has to happen first. It is, it's been on the list this entire year of like goals for the year is to record some stuff that I've had like in my pocket for quite a long time. And then things like the hurricane happen. And I'm like, oh yeah, hold on. That's good, fod- that's good fodder for writing though. It is. What was funny actually is at Kingdom Songs, there was a, a friend of mine from my hometown, Panama City, that I went to elementary school with. And he and I have known each other since you know we were that old. His dad was my photographer my, for my senior portraits. And he was there and I had no idea he was going to be there. He lives in South Carolina now. And he, um, he and I ended up in a pro-write together. And the song that we wrote was basically about how God is always good in the storm. And then like a few days later, Hurricane Michael came and decimated our hometown and really affected our parents. And it was like, how prophetic was the song that we just wrote about? God is good in the storm. I mean, I'm telling you, the destruction of Panama City is kind of mind blowing right now. Seeing it in person was very, very surreal. But it was kind of funny how it was like very like pertinent to what we had just done. It was funny to see somebody that I hadn't seen in like over 20 years probably and write with them. It was cool. That's awesome. So yes, they're coming. I'm, I'm working on it, man. I'm actually about to go meet up with a producer friend of mine actually to do something else with a different artist. But, um, he, uh, we're going to work on putting some demos together of some of my own stuff here pretty soon. So hopefully it'll be soon. Awesome. Well, we can't wait. Shelby, thanks so much for taking the time. Can't wait for your vocal lessons to come out and, uh, we'll just get you back on the podcast more and more. Cause Hey, You're I always- have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> You're always a good chat. I can say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you Thanks next time. Again. All right, bye. Man, I love that we uh, that we found Shelby because she's such an incredible worship leader. Obviously, she's an incredible vocal coach, but the fact that she has a heart for worship is is just really awesome. Yeah, it's really hard to find those two things. I, 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 as someone who has filled out the our, our teacher portfolio, it's not always easy to find that person. Nope. I mean, it's just hard to find people that are performance driven that also really want to try and lead the congregation too, because it's kind of two separate things, you know? Right. Well, we'll, uh, we're trying to put that whole thing together. So um, anyway, uh, in lieu of that, Daniel, what time is it? It's member mail time. Hit it, Jason. Come on. <laughs> I'm on the ball. <laughs> you are. It's so early in the morning. Okay. Not early in the morning for you, I guess. No. <laughs>
Today's member mail comes to us from Cameron, who says, I'm getting involved as the only worship leader at a church plant next year. I will likely be the only musician singer to begin with. The church will only be small to start, maybe around 20 people, but I want to be able to bring my best to allow the congregation to come to a place of worship. My question is really in two parts. Firstly, how would you go about creating a set for the, that first service? I would normally choose songs that I've done in the past for familiarity, but beyond talking with the pastor, I don't really know how to proceed. Is there anything that you would do for a church plant that you wouldn't normally do on a Sunday morning? Also, how do you begin to build up the team from just myself, eventually, full five-piece band? It's so hard for me to say five-piece band. I don't know why that's so hard right now. <laughs> Probably because <laughs> I, I haven't had my coffee yet. So I can make the most of your resources. Thanks so much for your resources and for the podcast. Well, yeah, that sounds awesome. It's really exciting. I think it's exciting to be in a church plant. Uh, you know, it's always really, really cool to be on, on the ground floor with relationships and having a chance to build your own culture in a church. Um, you know, if it was me, um, I, I lead worship for these uh, corporate fundraiser events and there are a bunch of people that don't know each other coming together for the first time. So it's kind of feels like the same thing. There's usually 30 or 40 people in the room. Uh, so what I normally do is I really want to give the people the, the lowest form of entry that they can get possible to be able to feel comfortable and relaxed and serve them well. Uh, so I will sing songs like Here I Am to Worship, so some of the bigger, older songs that everybody's going to know so that they can just relax and feel like they're not on the spot. Um, you know, if you're coming into a church as a worship leader that's that's already an established church, they kind of have their own uh, familiarity with each other and the building and all that stuff. So then, you know, it's, it's only up to you to try and, you know, if you introduce a new song, it's not too bad because they're going to, they're gonna they have time to kind of connect with it and it'll be something that they'll feel comfortable because they're already comfortable in that seat they've been sitting in for a long time but when you're all starting out from scratch i think the, the easiest thing to do is just give them the songs that are going to make them feel like it's home immediately what are your thoughts jason yeah you know um i did plan to church like 12 years ago now something like that and i'm still leading worship there uh, yeah, I think I think that's a great point. I think that you do want something that everybody can engage in immediately. But the other thing to think about too is when you're planting a church, you have an opportunity like you will never have in any other church, and that is to uh, to actually build a culture from scratch. And mm -hmm. so when you're when you're when you're thinking about leading a being a worship leader and how you're going to lead worship, you need to think about well, how do I want this to look in the long run? Because mm -hmm. you'll be able to get away with more because people are kind of expecting things different. You know, when we started, um, you know, I came from a larger church where we, you know, we used a lot of original music. And I thought, and I thought to myself, man, maybe when we come to this church, I was on the, I was in the band that was kind of leading. Uh, and when we started Mosaic, it was kind of one of those, um, it's not that Mosaic in California. It's up in Washington. It's different. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I always have to clarify that because I guess there's one in California, that, like Mosaic MSC. We do, we've done their songs. We're not them. Anyway, point being, um, <laughs> long, long sidetrack. Uh, point being is that, um, you know, we came in and we were like, well, you know, we want our songs to really come from our community and like speak to it. And so we had to keep some of those original things in there because we wanted those to be pieces of the worship going forward. You know, we did, um, we did some hymns. We did a couple, you know, popular songs. And we were leading like backyard barbecues. So we really were kind of trying to build those worship sets to start from a place of where do we want this thing to go. And so that would be what I would I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to, you know, talk with the pastor. Like, what do we want this worship culture to be? And then start from there right off the bat. Because you'll probably have more grace for those first few services than you will in five years when people have come to expect mm -hmm. something. Um, for your second uh, question about building that full five-piece band, 
Uh, Daniel, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, in my experience, um, you know, p- you know, the people that get really great bands together, it's usually because they a have um, created uh, an inspiring worship time. So people are like, oh man, I'd love to play with this guy. He's he's got his set together. He seems like he's he's into it, and and he also that he's you're going somewhere. You know, like you, you've you've got vision, and, and they go, wow, I'd love to get behind this guy with vision. Uh, it's like that in any in any leadership as a pastor. People's churches grow quickly if the pastor's got a lot of really cool vision, and and then looking after those people when you meet them and saying, hey, I'd love to connect with you. Let's go for lunch, or other musicians that come to your church, just kind of connect with them on a on a personal level, uh, just above their actual ability to be in your band look after them and nurture them personally and they'll, they'll be excited to get involved because they feel like hey this is somewhere i'm going to be looked after and then it'll help you to grow your band um obviously you want to let people know that hey we're looking for people to play but the, you know in this church that's that small you can literally talk to everyone after the service and say hey uh, so do you know you know do you play anything or are you interested in any any kind of stuff and you do it on a personal level i think it's easier to get people involved than doing like a cattle call from the front during worship time or after worship at the end of the service or something like that what yeah. are your thoughts, Jess? Yeah, I think I think that's the cool thing about once again about a church plant is that you can do things from a more personal level. You know, I you you should know everyone in that twenty person group. You know, so that so for there, you know, from that perspective, it's like you know you can invite people if you know that they play. Like the the thing is when you're when you have a small church and when you're when you're growing something, you know, I've been in the church for twelve years. Actually, it might be longer. I don't know. Uh, I've aged at least 12 years though. Um, the, yeah. You still, you still look like a child though. <laughs> it's cause I can't grow that beard. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like the, um, when you're, when you're, when you're in a, when you're in a group like that, um, you know, you get to choose, you get, once again, you get to choose that culture. You get to choose how you want it to be. It, you don't have to be aiming for like, this is what a mega church is. And so we should go, we're trying to become that. I mean, if that's what happens for you, great. Um, but when you're in that kind of smaller space, it really allows you to like build with the people that you have. You also have grace. They don't have to necessarily be the greatest musicians. Like I pull in people, like we don't have this huge, massive sound system. I pull in people that I know can play and I spend time with them to make it sound good. And sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes that means like, Hey, don't play on this song. You're not ready for this one yet. But I can at least like mentor them and coach them along. And it's like, man, we can have these sets where it's like that went really great. And it becomes something that people want to be involved in. But I'm totally with you, Daniel. It's like if you're the one that's got vision and you're approachable, you don't want to feel like you're on another level. Because I've heard that too. Like I've, I've reached out to some musicians and they're like, well, I want to, I don't know. It just feels like you have it handled. And it's like, no, I, I mean, I do, but I want more people involved and I'm willing to do the work to make that happen. And so I've had to be like really vocal about that. Like, hey, it's okay. Like join me and which is funny because it's like you would never put me on a stage in nashville but like in bellingham they're like you got this figured out like eh, nah, eh, not really <laughs> uh, we've all heard the tune you know if you've heard the tuning room like i can sing sorta you know yeah. but um <laughs> but, it, great voice, but it's like but you know what i mean like you don't want to be so unapproachable that people can't feel like they can they can approach you and, and be a part of what's going on either so absolutely but that's Cam- good man but cameron good for you man it, it's planning a church is is a is an adventure for sure and I'm, ex- I'm excited that you're getting to be involved in it and you know i would just i would encourage you to to pray to really seek god about how that culture is going to be really kind of build that community you know from the ground up and um and then really hold it loosely and let god do what he wants to do because you can't choose the people that come to your church you can't always choose what happens it's like it's going to become its own thing 
and God's going to do what he's going to do. So hold it loosely and be ready to jump into that, to that, uh, to that moving river and go with it as it goes. Cause it's, it's going to be great. Very cool. Well, hey guys, if you have member mail, we still want them, send them. We've got a few, but give us more. We love them. Um, if you want to learn worship songs for a five piece band, or actually even in like solo arrangements for piano or acoustic, we have those as well. You can sign up for worshipartistry.com and, uh, and get a free account, you know, no credit card or nothing. You can just try it out. You get three free songs. You get access to the one-on-one lessons, all that kind of stuff. You really see what it's all about. And, uh, we are, it's about to be mobile. So be very excited about that. Local lessons are on the way. There's so much going on. We've got some other cool classes we're putting together. It's going to be rad. So come on, come be a part of it. We'd love to have you. If you want to support the podcast, but don't want to get on the internet, well, actually, I guess that wouldn't work. You still have to get on the internet, but if you can go to iTunes or wherever you want to go and uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a review, also hugely helpful. So um, guys, thanks so much. I got to get my kids to school. Daniel, I'll see you next week. Catch you later.